So my favorite thing on the internet recently, yeah. and maybe you've seen this. Um, I'm not going to be able to remember the name of the website. But this website put out the 100 best TV episodes of the 21st century. Like okay. the past, I think it's like the past 30 years or something okay. like that. And what I loved about it, The Ringer, that was the, the website that put okay. out was yeah, The sure. Ringer. So they asked their staff to each bring to the table like some of their favorite TV episodes. Right, like not a show, but a specific episode. Specific episode. Okay. And then when they compiled this list of 100, each show could only get one episode. Okay. So The Office could only get one episode. ER could only get one episode. Um, and what I loved, just the experience of reading this article was fantastic because you read the thinking behind mm -hmm. why a particular staffer mm -hmm. chose this episode. But it also, it's an audio visual experience too because they're showing a clip from the episode. It's just really well done. So it's this fantastic article that I thoroughly enjoyed. But it really got me thinking um, because some of the episodes, like I'm not sure if those are the ones I would have picked. So for example, sure. what do you think the best episode of The, the American The Office um, is? Or what's your favorite? I have a real fondness for the first Threat Level Midnight episode, although I wouldn't say it's maybe the best, okay. but it is one of my favorites. Um, Dinner Party okay. is really, really up there. Um, Office Olympics is an early favorite. Office Olympics is so good. Um, my you know, what, what did they pick? Or what was so yours? So my favorite is the yeah. injury. Injury is very good. Where Michael, yeah. like, I just think that's so clever where he clamps his foot into the Foreman girl and... When he puts his foot into the MRI machine at the end, yeah. I lose it every time. And the whole episode, or much of the episode, you're thinking, what's wrong with Michael? But really, of course, there's something wrong with Dwight. Mm -hmm. I think it's really well done. Um, but the episode that the ringer picked or that the ringer staffer chose was the dinner party, mm -hmm. which I did not disagree with. We yeah, just no, rewatched that's a that episode, very good episode recently and it's so solid. Um, okay. What about ER? But it has to be 21st century. It has to be so this since is like, 2000. Is that right? Okay. So this is like season four forward. I guess so. Okay. Um, because there's that season one episode where... Mark delivers the baby. That is like is brutal, brutal, but also one of the best TV episodes ever made. Okay, that makes sense that you're because I just read it and was like, oh, when they picked this episode of ER, I was shocked. But you're right. I think this whole article, the premise is post two thousand. Okay. Okay, so this episode then makes a little bit more sense to me. Which one? Well, it's an episode I have not seen in okay. its entirety yet, but it is the episode where Mark dies in oh, Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Jordan Rough. totally thought it. Yes, absolutely. I think I have a hard time with that because my favorite episodes of ER are, even if they center on Mark or on Carter, mm -hmm. they're collaborative. Right. Like I like, and I think that's even why I love the dinner party episode mm -hmm. of The Office. But it's I like ensemble. The Office. Right. Like I like the staff. Right. And so in ER, I love in the hospital. Like mm -hmm. I don't like the episodes. I made Jordan skip the episode. Um, where, oh, I think one of the doctors goes to Mississippi or something. Benton goes to Mississippi. Yeah, and yeah. I was like... Mm -hmm. It's a really off episode. But they do that so much in the early seasons where it's like... They do like... It's like they decided to do a road trip episode. Exactly. And so like there's the one where Carol takes the day off and then is like stuck in a convenience store all Hate day. 
Hate it there so much. are all of these like weird like so and so's day off episodes that yeah. are never very good. I hate it, and it's it, I understand that it's probably writers trying right. to like be creative and recalibrate. And or do it's, it's giving us a chance to slow down and focus on one character instead of the ensemble. Yeah. This is a common thing in comic books where there are team books like the X Men or the Avengers, but then they also have these solo books. Yeah. Where you're doing very different things because a character on their own is very different from a character in a group. Yeah, I just do not. That is not my preference. Yeah. But Jordan really I see did that. I think that. that that was the best episode of ER. Okay. He thought it was good. Um, yeah, I'm not there yet on my rewatch. I'm in season seven now, so Mark dies in season eight. Sorry, spoilers for a show that's 20 years old. <laughs> I think even I didn't watch ER faithfully, but we all know Mike. We all Mark know dies. Mark dies, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so I just saw him coming back. To work and being just no nonsense and has no time for anybody's. Is this post brain surgery? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, oh, it was got so that good. Ugh, I loved that. But w- what else was on that list? I'm very curious. Parks and Rec. Okay, what's the best Parks and Rec? Because it's Harvest Festival and any other episode is wrong. They picked the any episode from the series finale. They thought it was extreme. From the final season? Yes. Yeah, those were all really good. They thought it was just the best use of forward thinking forward time like because there were all these inside jokes they just yeah. felt like it was really good um, no that's true those are all very good but harvest festival from harvest season three was really good you can't beat harvest festival what else uh they did dawson's creek which okay. i appreciated just did they do a gilmore just, girls yep okay what was the best episode of, guess best episode of gilmore girls um obviously the flashback episode oh my god no, <laughs> no the worst <laughs> um i don't know I, I agree with this, although I personally have another favorite, but it's the episode, gosh, now I'm blanking on the name. It's where it's 1920, like the dance marathon. Episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a the, given. The Dean and Rory break up. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, and you get um, Kirk like mm-hmm, running in the background mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. the tune of Rocky. Yes, that's a very good one. So I thought that was good. I think they did, they did a Lost episode. Um you know, and then some shows that I've not watched, so like Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've got thoughts on that one. Gosh, I just thoroughly every even shows I hadn't seen, it was such a delightful piece of the internet, and I yeah. feel like that's hard to come by these days. Yeah, it so often is. So, and as somebody who I love TV, I love yeah. good TV. Oh, me too. And so it was super fun to like see what other people. And then for me and Jordan, it was like a conversation. Yeah, starter. that one. Yeah. So we thoroughly. I even sent it to Jordan. And That's a fun. Too. Yeah. I'm gonna link to that. So look below. Welcome to episode 184 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and I do this every day. And I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. So we did a backlist episode a couple weeks ago. We did, um, indeed. Got lots of good feedback on it. We did. People loved it. The people loved it. They asked for it, so they, they, so they, they did. Should have and so it. when we give the people what they want, mostly, it turns out they usually like it. Yeah. Um, but this week I wanted to bring some of, I think, my own expertise to the podcast because I don't do that a whole lot. Right. Um, mostly I am here and I talk about books, but we forget, or I forget, I've always forgot, <laughs> forgotten, um, that 
I put together lists of books to read as a job. All the time. All the time. Um, because it turns out that's what teaching literature is. <laughs> that's correct. Teaching literature is just coming up with a bunch of lists of books for people to read. And that's literally what your training has been. Yeah. It's been like, I mean, that's what we both did. We talk frequently about great books. Uh -huh. Like that's, we're all about, and I think we've talked about Anne Bogle does this mm -hmm. maybe on what should I read next where she does these pairings. Right. We've done that before on the podcast. We did the, the book podcast. flights. Yeah, book flights. So we're just showcasing your academic expertise. My, yeah, sure. We'll call it that. I'll um, call it that. My academic expertise is in dead languages. We're going to pretend. Um, we're going to give but it to the people. We're going to give it to the people. And, and what I have done here today is I've put together essentially four course lists mm -hmm. um, for our listeners. Two of these are courses I've actually taught, which were fun. Um, they were very good discussion-based classes. I loved them both dearly. And two of them are classes that I will probably never teach. Mm -hmm. But... But you could. I could. You could. And look, if you're like me and you're a graduate school dropout and you love academia, but you also live and function in the real world, <laughs> then these book lists are a great way to continue your education. Right. And I also just want to be clear up front. I didn't pick academic or difficult books here. Um, mm -hmm. I think the cornerstone of a good discussion-based Socratic seminar class is to have things that are accessible and that inspire conversation. And so my methodology here begins from the idea that books are necessarily in conversation with one another. That's right. Which is but, something we believe firmly, firmly at the bookshelf. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's part of our great books. Yeah. Books talk to each other. When you read one book, it has ideas in it. When you read another book, sometimes its ideas are in conflict with the ideas of another book. Or sometimes they'll add to each other or they will or sometimes there's just like these this serendipitous moment where yeah. like the book i finished reading what did i finish i finished the vanderbilt book mm -hmm. you know and then this week i finished another book and it referenced the vanderbilt and now i knew exactly right. what the author exactly. was talking about exactly and i that doesn't happen if you're reading in a vacuum right and it doesn't happen it only happens if you're reading i don't know a lot of books and you're keeping an open mind to how they can relate to one another. Exactly. And so that's what discussion is about in a classroom, keeping an open mind to how these things can relate to each other. How can these things talk to each other? Because it's not the idea that like, well, I read this Dostoevsky book and now I'm going to go read this Freud book and Freud mentions Dostoevsky. And so, hey, there we go. They're mm -hmm. talking to each other. That's not what we're saying. Right. Know? We're just talking about general ideas. And so... A couple semesters ago, last fall, about a year ago, I taught this class called Women in Literature. Um, I designed this course around kind of maybe shaking up my mostly white, mostly upper middle class students might consider normal mm -hmm. for motherhood. And so I wasn't thinking about Carol Brady. I wasn't really even thinking about Lorelai Gilmore. Um, but I was trying to do something a little different. And so... We talked about this on the show before, did a whole episode about it, but I want to go through some of that book list again. And you've read a lot of these too. Yeah. Um, so I started the class with Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's Dear E.J. Oele, mm -hmm. or a Feminist Manifesto, and how many suggestions? Not, not that many. Not very many. <laughs> it, is a, it is a one sitting book. Yeah. It's short. Um, I want to say the paperback, or not the paperback, the, the like printed edition is like 
80 pages long, but yeah. there are like six words on every page. I was about to say, it's meant to um, be read in one sitting. It's meant to be read in one sitting. And my student pointed out to me that the full text is still available for free as a Facebook post on her Facebook. So which funny. I think is really funny, and I don't know how the publisher didn't like. Yeah. Shut that down. Yeah. But I digress. Man. Um, but you've read this, right? Yeah, I've. I know. You've read. We should all be feminists. I've read. We should all be feminists. Um, very similar. Um, but this starts as a letter that she was writing to her friend who was a new mom who asked her like, "Hey, how can I raise a daughter in the modern world? Because mm-hmm. that's scary." Yeah. Um, and so Aditya essentially comes up with these talking points for her like okay well this is what I think is important these are the lessons that I think are important to instill in a child and this is your job as a mother to teach her these things can I ask a question please is Chimamande a mother um I don't no, but I think so. Okay. That, because I actually was going to love if she wasn't. Yeah. Because how refreshing would it be to ask your non-parent friends right. their opinions on like, parenting? Hey, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah, because I feel like sometimes, and maybe this is just me as a non-parent, but I think sometimes, and you're not a parent either, no. we can be excluded from conversations where we really do have thoughts I, and opinions. I do have thoughts and opinions, and I don't know that they're substantially less valid um, for not having had the experience, but maybe they are. I don't know. Certainly, maybe they're not as well-rounded as if I had children, but I always appreciate talking with my friends. I mean, many of my friends are parents, and I'm always grateful when they include me in their conversations, even though maybe we don't have that in common yet. Right. Um, So I was just curious about that. Yeah, no, that's interesting, and I'm not... I'm not totally sure. Okay. Um, I don't remember. I'm going to look that up. Um, but we started our class with that. Okay. Um, That's a great it gave us, starting it point. It was a great starting point because it got us thinking about like, well, really, what is a mother? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Is it just a person who biologically gives birth to a child? Mm-hmm. Or is it maybe something beyond that? Yeah. Is it something more cultural? Is it something more um, familial? Like there are a lot of different definitions that we work with. We use mother as a metaphor all the time. Mm-hmm. Um and so that was a good way to get us started talking. And so then I hit them with The Mothers. Okay. Um, by Britt Bennett. Came out two years ago, I guess. Yeah, I think that's um, right. Close to that. Um, this is a book that you loved. One of my favorites. A lot. Yeah. Um, it's very, very good. And it deals with this question head on. Um, Nadia, the main character, makes a decision very early on in the book um, to not become a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, her mother in the first chapter also makes that decision, but in a very different way. Yeah. And then the rest of the book is kind of about these church mothers that are narrating these characters' lives. But also, I forget her name. Is it Mrs. Turner? It's something like that. It's something with a T. Mm. And she is the kind of antagonist of the book. Okay. Um, the, like, reverend's wife. Okay. Um, because she is perhaps not. Mm-hmm. No, Nadia Turner is the main character. She's Mrs. Something Else. Okay. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um and so it asks us questions again, like, what is the role of the mother yeah. in here? And I, my, so interestingly, my mom just asked me about this book, and so I think she's going to read it. Um, but I love this idea that Elizabeth Gilbert actually tackles in, I think it's her book, I think it's her book, Committed, um, which is about marriage. I feel like she has a section in there um, where she talks specifically about mothers who aren't our biological mothers. Yes. And... For example, I have a mother who I have a wonderful relationship and who is my biological mother and also who parented me Mm -hmm. in the truest sense of the word. But I also have literal aunts 
who helped raise me. Mm-hmm. Like my mom has three sisters. Two of them lived down the street from me. Like I am a byproduct. I tell Jordan all the time, it is so odd to not just be my mother's daughter, mm-hmm. but to also have been clearly very largely influenced by two other women. Right. Um, and so there is something lovely about that too. Or yeah. I think about my relationship with my grandmothers. And in this case, all of these women were biological, but Elizabeth Gilbert talks about, I think she refers to them as aunties. Yeah. Like these women in our lives who may or may not have children of their own, but they also, for whatever reason, decide to help raise us. Right. And, and, and how important that and is. And that's part of the cultural background of the yeah. mothers, I think. Yes. These church mothers who are observing and narrating, but kind of from a distance. Yes. Um, which is very interesting. Yeah. And so I then paired that with um, S.J. Sindhu's Marriage of a Thousand Lies. Mm-hmm. Um, this is um, about um, a Sri Lankan community in Boston, um, and it's about a lesbian woman who enters into kind of a sham marriage with a gay man to like get their very conservative families off their back. Yeah. Um, and again, in this Sri Lankan immigrant community. Um, but it's, I mean, that's kind of the plot. That's mm-hmm. the book jacket blurb. But the book is really about um, this main character, Lucky's relationship with her mother, mm-hmm. her divorced mother, which is anathema in this community, um, and how they have to deal with the cultural ramifications of their own individual lives, mm-hmm. how they're not allowed to live the way they want to because of these societal pressures around them. And not even the big global ones of America or the Christian West, but <clears throat> within their own smaller immigrant community. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really good um, pairing because you get um, the mother character from the mothers as this like domineering woman who manipulates everyone around her um, and is not particularly a good person, although you can kind of see her motivation, then into looking at Lucky's mother, who dearly loves her, but just cannot deal with her life decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and tries and does her best, but just can't understand. Yeah. Um, and so they are a very interesting um, comparison. Um, the next one I put on that list was The First Bad Man by Miranda July. Um, this, again, has to do with more of a, um, with a, a lesbian relationship um, one of these women um, is pregnant and leaves her baby with a woman that she has entered into this like semi-romantic, very abusive relationship with, and then just doesn't come back for the baby. And so this woman, this very neurotic, strained woman, the narrator, has to raise this other woman's child and doesn't realize it's what she's doing. Hmm. It's a really interesting thing because like she never set out to become a mother. Yeah. Um, she has not given birth herself. She did not think of herself as a mother figure, but now by the end of the book, we realize this is what she's been the whole time. Right. And she kind of realizes that too. And it's heartwarming, although you have to get through some weird and disturbing and, and just very off <laughs> <laughs> scenes to get there. Um, the final one I have on my list here um, is Rabbit Cake by Annie Hartnett because I wanted to examine the idea of the absent mother. Uh-huh. Um, she's absent because she is dead. Yes. Um, you love Rabbit Cake. I do. As much as I did. Um, I love it too because it tackles something pretty obviously dark, um, but not only with a sense of humor, but from a child's perspective. Right. And so I do think children are often 
so much more honest yeah. about death than we as adults are. And so it's interesting to watch this child like literally try to tackle the five stages of grief. Yeah. Um, and it's all done, I think, with a sense of humor, though dark, obviously dark humor. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a great book. Yeah, and I think Rabbit Cake and First Bad Man both use lots of humor, yeah. but it is dark humor. Yeah. I think I would love... Um, to see that kind of mother. I'm so curious about your opinions yeah. of that book. I think no, that's I really want to read that. I kind of slide right in. And Absolutely. To be included on the list. And I cut, I had two or three other novels on this list. I yeah. had Beloved and I had um, Pregnant Butch and I had um, Are You My Mother. Um, and so I'm like kind of paring down for the podcast. Yeah, well, and there are so many. That, that's what's so interesting, yeah. right? Like, this is clearly something that we want to read mm-hmm. about and want to talk about because I think we could, this li- this particular list could be infinite. Because what my students came to, the conclusion they got to is like, there is no one good definition of what a mother is. Mm-hmm. There are lots of working definitions that we can consider different people different kinds of mothers, mm-hmm. but there's no one thing that every mother is. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was trying to show them yeah. through these books and to come away with a wider appreciation of of what these women do in our lives. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a fun class and I'd love for some listeners to read through these books and tell me what they think. Yeah. Um, another one I taught and I will go kind of quickly through this one because this is more kind of up my alley than anything else. But I taught this class um, on the existential narrative in sci-fi or speculative fiction. Um, but I can also just think of this list as like, what does it mean to be human? Mm-hmm. And so all of these books kind of place their characters in these situations that dehumanize them and they have to fight for their right to exist. Okay. And so classic example here is Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite books. I talk about it all the time. Future society where people are mass produced, people are um, put into a caste system, but there are some of them who are still trying to think for themselves. Mm -hmm. And how do they do that in this kind of society? Um, the one I paired that with was Fahrenheit 451, which most people have read at this point. Um, I heard there was a like not very good HBO movie earlier this year oh, with Michael yeah. B. Jordan. Haven't seen it myself, cannot comment on its quality, but I heard it was not a great adaptation. Bummer. I like Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, I do too. But this one too, kind of, not that people are mass produced, but that books are outlawed. People aren't supposed to be thinking for themselves. Mm-hmm. And yet there are some people who do still have access to these books and are beginning to question the ideals of their society. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important thing to consider, yeah. especially here in the 21st century where not our listeners, but like a lot of people don't read. Yeah. Um, a lot of people maybe take their view of the world from what is told to them from people talking on a screen. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, Jordan and I were just talking about like an extreme example. Like there are obviously, I mean, you forget because we live in America, right. but there are other governments dictating mm-hmm. what their um, people are allowed to read and watch. Right. We were just laughing. I mean, it's funny, but it's also deeply sad that the Chinese government won't let their, um, won't let Christopher Robin, the yeah. movie, yeah. be in China <laughs> like for this absurd like really laughable reason, right. but it's actually not funny. Like if you think about how much those people are being limited right. and sometimes I think in America we limit ourselves. Right. And so it's the classic difference yeah. between 1984 and Brave New World yeah. where in 1984 the government has said, nope, nothing. Nobody has access to anything. None of these things exist. And you were lying if you said they ever did. Mm-hmm. Brave New World is that people have more or less given up these things voluntarily because they would rather just take drugs and have sex and watch these like weird orgies on TV or whatever. 
not the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so Neil Postman's introduction to his book, um, Amusing Ourselves to Death, is all about like, this is the thesis that we're actually living in Huxley's vision of the future and not Orwell's. Um, which is scary. It is scary. Um, and so the next book on my list is kind of the natural consequence of that. This is one not a lot of people read. It's called A Canticle for Leibowitz by Walter Miller. One of my top ten favorite novels for sure. Um, it is a post-apocalyptic novel in three parts. It's a very early post-apocalyptic novel. Um, meaning it was written in the 50s when everybody was afraid of the bomb. Mm -hmm. And so his idea is... Let's imagine there is a global scale nuclear war and mm -hmm. pretty much everybody is destroyed. How did the remaining people pick up the pieces and move on? And so the first is kind of this new medieval society where there is no technology, there is no widespread literacy, and there are just these few, like essentially monks who have picked up a shopping list, a blueprint that they don't understand, and they're <laughs> venerating these objects because they don't know how to read them. Oh, interesting. Um, and they're like, this is this scrap of culture from this old thing that we don't understand. Yeah. Really interesting. And then it moves into like a new renaissance and a new space age. Um, all the while asking like, what does it mean to live in this society? Mm -hmm. Who are we as people? The same themes, I think, as Station Eleven. Very yeah. much so. And I I assigned Station Eleven in this course yeah. and took it off this list because we recommended it enough. All the time. Um, but if you like Station Eleven, you might like some of these books. Um, the last two are Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. There's a great film adaptation starring Andrew Garfield and Kira Knightley and Carrie Mulligan. Oh, wow. Um, but it's about clones um, who are raised in this, essentially an orphanage, because they were bred and cloned in order to be organ donors for rich people. Oh. They don't know that as they're growing up because they're just kids yeah. and they are kids and they have grown up as children and they have lives and they have identities, but they were bred and made in order to die so that they could give their organs to other people. Okay. And so like, horrifying. it's horrifying. <laughs> it's disturbing. And the book, like that's all kind of in the background because it's just about the personal lives of these five kids. Okay. Um, and you know, this horrifying thing is going to happen to them mm -hmm. and they don't really right. They and it's, haven't they haven't comprehended that. And so it's sad, yeah. but it's so good because it really, like, because they're human and yeah. they are, and we know that, yeah. but they are clones. Yeah. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Um, and so it, like, asks us a lot of important existential questions. And then the last one is The Handmaid's Tale. Okay. You've been watching the Hulu series. Yeah. We all have. I haven't seen the last two episodes of season two yet. Um, I just, uh, it was too much. And then I just couldn't bring myself to do That's it. That's what, uh, what was his name? Alan Seppenwall or whatever that yeah. critic, he said that the series the season finale has given him permission to no longer watch because he just felt like it's too it's real unrelenting darkness unrelenting darkness is a good way to say it the book is not so much yeah i think the book ends on a fairly hopeful note and it has this weird epilogue that like well that was a weird period in our history glad we're better now yeah um this is all found in like a textbook or an academic conference something like that which I do like that the TV show I think is going in that direction. Like what it Jordan, toward that, yeah, yeah. What Jordan finds most fascinating about that show is when we see elements of how other governments are functioning and right. then how this government is trying mm -hmm. to function. Um, Absolutely, it it is really interesting, and um, I think the show has done a good job. With it that. has, and The Handmaid's Tale would also fit great in the motherhood class. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, what's so great about books. Exactly. You, you can put put them wherever you want them. Really, so. we have this this linkage between these two classes yeah. now. Um, but that book asks not only what does it mean to be a mother, but what does it mean to be a woman yeah. in this society? So that was a really interesting book. 
Um, that was a great class. I loved that class. Um, but let's move on to these two things that I have never taught that okay. I think might be of interest to our listeners. Okay. The first is a Florida themed Oh, which class. I think is great because everybody talks about how weird Florida is. And huh? And look. It is. You're not wrong. But here's what I love. And yeah, I'm a native Floridian. Yep, me too. But what and I, we're from different ends of the state. Totally different. Very completely different ends culturally, geographically. And that's what I love. Like uh-huh. when Jordan and I did our road trip just totally around the perimeter um, and then through the middle of Florida. Yeah, Florida is weird. You know why? Because it's actually extremely diverse culturally. Mm-hmm. You can go from the redneck area of the panhandle yep. of Florida right down to Miami or in Tampa where there's this Cuban, vibrant mm-hmm. Cuban culture. Like, it is so vastly or different. into the swamp. Yeah. Or into theme park land. Yeah. Or into... I don't know, or like horse country. Horse like we country. Forget horse country. Horse exists. country. All up above Orlando, yeah. right? Williston, all those places. Yeah. Um, the Space Coast, like all those things are Florida, and they're all in one state. And so when I mean, no, no judgment, no. but like when I go to Alabama or Georgia, those states do feel really similar. Yeah. Georgia, at least you get some different geography. Yeah. But they feel like they are a little more culturally homogenous. Yeah. I think. Yes, and look. No we don't know for sure. Right. But that's our sense. Right. And I've lived a lot of places and in And Florida is so weird. Florida and is it, so different. And it drives me crazy when people from one area of Florida talk about their own area of Florida as the real Florida and yeah. everything else is not. Like, yeah. no. Yeah. The beauty of Florida is that it is weird and diverse and, and distinct in these like six or seven different pockets. I would say that the real Florida, when I see that term or when I, when I say that term, what I mean is untouched yeah so like natural florida natural florida but i don't know if that's real florida the way we think of it and that's what this book or what this class yeah. this syllabus is really meant to examine and so i wanted to start it light with dave barry's best state ever this came out a couple years ago it's dave barry's collection of essays on how great florida is mm-hmm. um it is great it is weird and wild he goes into um the swamp he gets to talk about like weird urban legends like the skunk ape mm-hmm. goes into miami and talks about like all the different um kinds of call i'm just going to keep saying weird over and over because it's florida and we all understand <laughs> and i like dave the wiki watching mermaids oh god the mermaids um and i love dave barry because he has lived and worked and written about florida his forever. whole career yeah. yeah so i think that's a great collection to start with um, and then I wanted to move into a novel with Karen Russell's Swamplandia. Um, this is all about people living, it's the, what is it, the 10,000 islands off the coast of, off the west coast of Florida. I think that's right. Um, and it's these people living on like an alligator ranch. Yes. It's something, something like, like a that. Theme park. It's been a very long time since I've looked at this book. Um, I think this is a very authentically Floridian book. Yeah. Um, it is about kind of, the consumer culture of Florida, it's about the Everglades swamp culture of Florida, it's about the coast, all these things um, in a great little marriage. And Karen Russell, can't go wrong. Oh, um, so one She's of so our, talented. One of our best living writers. This is a great book too, if like, I know you've used the word weird, but if you are little, a little bit scared of weird lit, like- This is a good way to ease yourself a, in. Yeah, yeah, I totally think Swamplandia is a great thing to try. Yeah, for if sure. If you don't typically read it's, it's a little offbeat, yes, um, but not in an off-putting way. That's right. It's like just enough. Just enough. Um, the next one on there is Sarah Gerard's essay collection, Sunshine State. I want to read this so much. I know. And I haven't read the whole thing. Yeah. I've read pieces of it. 
it's a memoir, really. Yeah. Um, that is mostly set in Florida because she grew up in Florida. So it does examine how the weirdness and the diversity of Florida is kind of a microcosm of the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, mm, I have thoughts about how it affects us as humans. Yeah. Like, I feel very weird. Like, as a oh, person, yeah. as a person who travels and meets other people, or when I go on a double date with Jordan. Like I totally feel like a little bit of a weirdo being from Florida. Such a good talking point. Yeah, it is. But it also like the weird, I even think Tallahassee is this very weird town. Very Not strange. Not necessarily in the Austin, Texas weirdness. Oh no. But like in the a, opposite kind of weirdness. Yeah. And so I grew up around state government, um, college culture, like FAMU and Two FSU. Two different universities. Um, Maybe, yeah, a little bit of redneck culture, mm-hmm. um, but also, but also the old Florida money. Old like, Florida money and the transplant culture of the university system. Yeah, it's, so, whatever. I, so, I would love, does Sarah talk about that in Sunshine State a um, little bit? I, not that I've read, okay. not about Tallahassee specifically, but um, just definitely about the... I think if you grew up in Florida. Yeah. I think this is a very important book for people to read who have grown up in Florida. It is not always light. It is not always funny. She deals with some heavy topics. Um, And the cover is beautiful. And the cover is gorgeous. (laughs) And so moving on from there, Lauren Groff's latest collection, Florida. (laughs) Why haven't I read this? Why haven't you read this? Um, So similar to Sunshine State, this is a collection of short stories, Mm -hmm. um, all of which are set in Florida in different time periods. Lauren Groff lives in Gainesville, works at the University of Florida. Um, could be working at Florida State University if they had hired her a few years ago, but they didn't. And uh, Chris is bitter. I'm always going to be bitter about that. I could have taken a workshop with Lauren Groff. Anyway. You still could. Time is short. Life is short. Anyway. Life is um, this, again, like Sarah Gerard's collection, examines just different kinds of Florida, mm-hmm. different places in Florida. Um, what does Florida mean? What yeah. is Florida? Um, and she acknowledges that it's a weird place. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I wanted to just lean into the heavy weirdness and look at Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation. Mm-hmm. This is not, this does not acknowledge in its text that it's set in Florida. But it totally is. But it is. It's set in St. Mark's yeah. um, Wildlife Refuge, um, right nearby. Beautiful. Um, oh, it's so pretty. Jeff Vandermeer lives in Tallahassee. Um, and this book is like, if, if you've been to St. Mark's mm-hmm. and you read this book, you will so clearly be able to visualize everything in it because can, it's so obviously set in St. Mark's. So I have to say, you can even... So I admittedly have not read this um, because I... That's why I say Swamplandia is perfect if you are like me and you kind of shy away from weird lit. And this is heavy weird. But I we watched the movie. Mm-hmm. And what a weird, weird movie. But the whole time I kept going, this looks so familiar. Yeah. And I don't think they filmed it in St. Mark's. I don't think so either. But they totally could have. Because mm-hmm. the landscape just looked, felt so familiar to me. Um, it felt like Florida. Um, and that is a, a very, very strange book. But it is about the ecosystem and the world. And there's so much going wrong with Florida's natural ecosystems right now because yeah. of people who don't care about it. Yeah. Um, there are these horrifying re- reports of red algae and blue-green algae and how they've diverted the natural flow of the Everglades to flow out of either coast instead of just down the middle um, because our legislature and our government just doesn't care about the well-being of our state and its land. Please Um, keep going. Please be more political. (laughs) Listen, I need to use my platform here. Um, I ordered my mail-in ballots yesterday, so I'm ready. 
<laughs> I'm coming for you. Oh. Um, anyway, um, caring about our land, though, uh, yes. segues me into my final course here. Okay. Because this is the kind of central tenet of everything Wendell Berry has ever written. Mm-hmm. Um, caring about the land, caring about the people who live in a certain place. Mm-hmm. And so my final class here um, is about small town life and about caring about where you live. Mm-hmm. And so let's start with Wendell Berry's Jaber Crow. I think one of the best novels of the 20th century. Absolutely phenomenal. It's a big boy, um, but he has several shorter ones too that are all thematically similar. You just did a 10 second book review. Was that of Hannah Coulter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that one's short. That one's about, it's less than 200 pages, I think. Yeah. Jaber Crow's about 400, um, but it's his best, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's about a man named Jaber who is an outsider who moves into this small town and how it takes him 30 years to earn the trust of the people around him. Look, not, not wrong. Not wrong. Cause that's what small towns are like. <laughs> small right. towns are insular. Um, and it takes a long time for things to change yeah. and for people to be okay with that change. And so I want to talk a little bit about Melanie, Melody Warnick's This is Where You Belong. Yeah. This is a book we've talked about before on the podcast because it was one I read I think probably six months to a year after moving to Thomasville. And it's about loving where you live. Right. But, but so she lives in Blacksburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. where Virginia Tech is. Um, yes. I think that's right. And so she has moved there in this book. She's moved there from Texas. She and her husband moved around, move around a lot, mm-hmm. but they're kind of determined to stay in Blacksburg, Virginia for a while. And it's how they come to terms with a new culture, um, a new city, new... I think her husband's new job, but it's, I like it because it puts the onus on us. Like you can't rely on your town to provide. You um, have to work. You have to do it. You have to work. And she's empathetic about that. Right. Because it's hard. It's a difficult uh, mission, but I love, she gives some practical tips on how to do that, whether it's, you know, walking in your town and making sure you live in a walkable area. And that you greet the people around you. Yes. And like, you know, not looking at your phone while you're walking, uh, which I am sometimes guilty of. So this is a great book, even if you have lived in the same place forever. I think it would open your eyes to maybe the parts of your community that you're less familiar with. I think one of the best things I ever did was move away from Tallahassee Mm -hmm. and then move back. And so the very things that might have driven me nuts had I stayed in Tallahassee Mm -hmm. don't drive me nuts anymore. I've seen other cities. I know what I like about Tallahassee. I know what I don't. And I know what I can do. When we lived in Tallahassee, I knew what we needed to do to make it for us. Uh, And so the same is true of Thomasville. Yeah, absolutely. What Jordan and I, how Jordan and I function in our town is important. And that's what, that's what this is where we belong talks about. Absolutely. And so let's talk a little bit about um, the little bookstore of Big Stone Gap. So this is a book that my mother, if she is listening, she will be still so disappointed that, that I you haven't, haven't read, read it yet. yet. Um, but this is a book she has recommended to me. She really recommended it to me and gave me a copy after Jordan and I moved to mm-hmm. Thomasville. Because it's a nonfiction book. It's nonfiction about a couple that moves to Big Stone Gap, um, this small southern town. Kind of a touristy mountain town um, is what I'm is the impression I'm getting. But they move there to take over the bookstore. They have purchased, I believe it's a used and new bookstore. And obviously my mother felt like that this was a story I needed to hear. Um, she loved it because she constantly is reminding me in the book, it takes the couple five to six years just to kind of be equals with the rest of the town and, and how realistic that is in a small town environment and what they had to do and, and weird things like picking a church 
because in this small town, southern environment, picking a church was of utmost importance mm. and the people needed to know where they were going. And, and so I think it is probably a book that would hit close to home if you are from a small southern town in particular, yeah. but also if you're anybody who has ever had to move in. Um, I think the book that C.J. Hauser wrote, yeah, um, The From Aways, the from -aways is also applicable here. Like somebody who has to like come into a town and make it their own um, and, and kind of win over the community. I think that's something that I find very familiar. <laughs> yeah, and so let's talk a little bit about The From Aways because um, I think the, the From Aways is a great addition to this list. Yeah. Um, these two women mm -hmm. who don't know each other have both moved to this small town in Maine mm -hmm. um, and have to figure out how to belong. Yeah. And, and, and the title comes from this concept of like, you're not from here, you're from away. From away. Um, you were a from away. I remember, I mean, I think it was one of the very first podcast episodes I did was yeah, with CJ. Yeah, it's like in the first five, I yeah, think. Yeah, it was with CJ and she came over to my house, which was very kind. And we talked because I read that book and I know CJ as a writer, mm -hmm. she feels like she has more to do. Uh, but I loved that book because I felt like I was reading it right when I needed to read it. Right. I was reading it as a from away. Right. I was somebody not from here and having to adjust and getting to read about characters having to do the same thing was right. really comforting. And, and like learn the culture. Yeah. Um, and that's the hardest thing. Absolutely. And so the last book on this list that I want to talk about is Frederick Backman's Bear Town. Yes. Which we just talked about a couple weeks ago. You just read it. Um, the underbelly of the, small towns. Exactly. Yeah. And this is, I wanted, I wanted this to be the kind of challenging book on the yeah. list. The underbelly of small towns. The kind of bad things that can happen when towns get too insular and do too much to protect their own yeah. at the expense of others, others that are their, of their own. own. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so this is a book that's largely about hockey and the like kind of sports culture in the small town, but also how the sports culture in this town can then cover up the rape culture of this town. Yeah. Um, which is a difficult topic to talk about but oh so important it's really important and Frederick Bachman I mean we could have put really any of his books on this list yeah for they sure they are so good in dealing with small town culture yeah and I talked about this on the podcast before what what I love about his literature what I loved about Beartown in particular is it doesn't um, disregard the beauty to be found in small towns and in sport culture right. instead it talks about how Sports culture, small town culture could be this pure and lovely thing. Mm -hmm. And but, it's not always. But it's not. And 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 when it's not, there are consequences right. to be paid. And so But it could and should be this yeah. beautiful thing. Yeah. And yet. And yet. Yeah. Um, the point of these lists, I think the aim of any good discussion-based literature course, because like there are different kinds of literature course. Mm -hmm. I teach medieval lit in translation. That's not super discussion-based. Yeah. That is a lot of lecture. That is a lot of me explaining context and things so that they can understand. Um, but a good discussion-based contemporary literature course, I think, has to revolve around just asking questions, mm -hmm. not necessarily coming to hard answers, but just examining critically who we are and what are we doing. Mm -hmm. Um, what I've tried to do with all four of these lists is start with the question. What does it mean to be a mother? What does it mean to be human? What is Florida? <laughs> and then what does it mean to function in small town life? And, yeah. and how do you do that? Um, because there aren't hard answers. Yeah. And what I love is 
reading, let's say you're not like you or me and right. you are not from Florida, right. but asking the question, what is Florida and reading books about Florida is going to help you look at Florida with a new mindset and, and it's going to help you function and live and ask questions in your own state. About your own place. Yeah. About your own sense of place. If you don't live in a small town, reading a book reading books and literature about small town life is going to open your eyes to, to parts that you might not exactly, know about. Exactly. A different part of the world or part of the country that you maybe don't know about. And then I do believe the ultimate goal is to help you function better yes. as a human and function better in your own town, yes. in your own place. Yes. That's what literature I think is supposed to do. I think so too. And so what I am always trying to do with my classes is get us back to to asking the question, what can we do? How can we live better? Mm -hmm. How can we live more fully with the people around us? Mm -hmm. um, and if we can learn from these books and if we can understand ourselves better by asking, what is Florida? Yeah. Or by asking, I'm a non-mother right. in the traditional sense I'm, of the term. I am certainly not a mother. <laughs> and the, but, but reading books about motherhood and about the definition of being a mother makes me think about how how do I function mm -hmm. like a mother already? Mm -hmm. How will I be a mother? What might that look it like? It helps me both to understand myself better and also to better understand and care for the people around me. That's right. Um, it gives me empathy. Mm -hmm. And that is what books really yeah. should do. Yeah. So think of a class, of a good discussion-based literature class, as a 16-week book club. Yeah. Um, and if you can take any of these lists yeah. and do them with your own book club. I was about to say, what a great curriculum for a book club to yeah. adhere to. Um, and if you are interested in other kinds of little book club curricula, I am happy to write out some some more little lists for you. Yeah, and maybe this will be like a recurring episode yeah. idea. Yeah, we can do some recurring like quarter or semi-annual quarterly yeah. book club syllabi. Yeah. Awesome. We're at the bottom of the barrel again. Started out strong, but now we're coming up thin. Oh, we have cast our lots with all the devils of sin. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. From the Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on today's episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you so much to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel from their album Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon, gain access to exclusive bonus content like my brief interviews with the rest of the staff, you can check us out on patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch. You can also check out our website at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com for a full back catalog of our show with detailed show notes and links to further reading. This week in the bookshelf, a very funny thing happened. So I don't know if I've ever seen a more accurate representation of entrepreneur life Mm. Then Mindy Kaling's character, mm -hmm. Mindy Lahiri, mm -hmm. laying in her office floor whenever she is overwhelmed. I have many fond memories of you crouching behind the bookshelf <laughs> counter on a busy Saturday. Just like, need a minute. Yep. Need a minute. And I will say that probably last week I didn't spend a ton of time on the floor mm -hmm. of the bookstore, <laughs> meaning the merchandise floor uh -huh. of the bookstore. I spent a lot of time... 
in my office and then on the floor because literally laying there trying to like hire someone or maybe figure out a budget thing like and it's for some reason there's something out laying on the floor that makes me feel better i get that the floor is filthy i don't know oh, why yeah. it provides me with comfort I, I like lying down on the floor i like sitting on the floor it just gives me like a different perspective yeah. i'd like to think it makes me humble <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week <laughs>